lose our minds. Why, why would I say that? Let's see here. Move to my next graphic, which should be a verse if this is working like it's supposed to, which it's not. Okay, there we go. When he, Jesus, when his own people heard of this, this is his mother, his brothers, his relatives. They went out to take custody of him, Jesus, for they were saying he has lost his senses. Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. And only people who don't read the Bible would find that outrageous. If you read the Bible, in uh, John, I think it's chapter 7, you have his adult brothers making fun of him, basically, saying, look, if you're the big cheese, why don't you go to Jerusalem and do some tricks, uh, you know, if, you, if that's really who you think you are. And, it, and then it says, even his own brothers weren't believing in him, but at this point, they think that Jesus is insane. And we're going to be looking a little more at this passage in Mark chapter 3 here in a minute. But the idea that the way God sees the world and the way we see the world before we get to know him are opposites, antithetical, completely different, to the point that if you actually start seeing the world the way God wants you to and the way he sees it, the world will say you're crazy. So if you call yourself a Christian and your unsaved family members think your Christianity is great and it all makes perfect sense, what you do with your time, what you do with your money, who you're hanging around with, the moral standards you live by, if it all makes sense to them, guess what? You're doing it all wrong. If they're not saying you're nuts, you're not doing it right. And a lot of times we don't really study the scriptures. We don't realize that Jesus himself was called crazy by his own family members. This is a theme that runs through the entire Bible. When you start getting right with God, the world's going to say you're crazy. But the real issue is, well, I was, I was meditating a lot on this because God is dealing with my heart. Your family is going to say, this person got on the crazy train. But God is going to be saying this person got off the crazy train. From God's perspective, you were crazy before you came to him. And so we have to embrace that. And if we're uncomfortable and we need everyone's approval, you're not going to get far at all in your Christian life. Because God's opinion about everything is completely different than the world's. And so I've been meditating on this all week, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. But this is basically the way the Bible presents it. We have all these different societies and cultures that have nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the gospel and Christ and what he taught. And the world literally shares a collective insanity. So your friends that don't know and love and follow Jesus or have the Holy Spirit and, and look at the word of God, according to scripture, the values they share, it, it's a kind of a shared crazy. And they kind of, you know, in a democratic society say, hey, let's vote on what's true, what's false, what's right, what's wrong. 
but it's a bunch of insane people doing it. And so we come out of that and we go, okay, Jesus, what, what's really true, what's really right, etc. But if you're going to be a real disciple of Christ, you better just get used to being crazy. And it's not just to the world, because the problem is, is that the church, God's people throughout all of history are usually more worldly than they are thinking like Christ. So the only way to know if you're really following Christ is you have to get into the Word of God and you have to realize that you're even going to be getting a lot of pushback from the people in your life who call themselves Christians because they're not thinking any different than the world. And you, you, one of the signs that you're starting to think like Christ is you get persecution, you get pushback, you get criticism. And in Jesus's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me, rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. That's exactly what they've always done to the prophets. The prophets are God's spokesmen. Religious, even in the religious world, we typically crucify, uh, drive out, cut off the prophets, even from our religious institutions. Why? Because our religious institutions are corrupted by the thinking of the world. So, Basically, through a series of events, I feel like God's been challenging me on how worldly my own thinking is. Because when you live in this world, especially if you're not taking time daily in prayer and daily in the Word, you're going to think just like the world. You're going to start acting just like the world. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this idea that God's way of thinking compared to our way of thinking are polar opposites. It's like night and day. And if you want to follow God, you're going to either have to be crazy to the world or you're going to have to be crazy to God. I'm, I'm choosing to be crazy to the world. So my prayer has been lately, God, make me that crazy person. Now, there are a bunch of kinds of crazy that are of no use. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the mind of Christ crazy. I want to think exactly like Jesus Christ did about everything. A great verse along these lines from the, from the Old Covenant, 700 years before Jesus was born, but this has always been the way it's worked. God's ways are way different than our human ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, your, uh, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Again, that's Yahweh, his personal name. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, a lot of people teach this passage wrong. Or wrongly. They, they teach that what this means is you just can't know the thoughts of God. A lot of theologians will do that. It's not what it's saying. Because it goes on to say, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't return without watering the earth, making it bear and sprout, furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. So he's saying, look, you have no access to my thoughts unless I send my word. So it's not that we can't process them. We can't do the math. God will give us the ability to understand them if we're willing to honor, respect, revere what he gives us. If we don't, it all shuts down. That's called hardening your heart. So God will give you revelation. He'll tell you how to be saved. He'll tell you how to be in right relationship with him. He'll tell you how to have a, a life that works and find peace and joy and fruitfulness and prayers that are answered. And he'll give you some information. He says, well, how are you going to respond to this? respond properly, he'll give you more. But just so you know, we have no access to it apart from his word and apart from revelation. And apart from his word and revelation, we are 
bonkers, nuts, crazy. This world is a madhouse. That's what the Bible teaches. So I'm going to look a little more at Jesus and his insanity. And the reason I want to do that is because God has been showing me that I am kind of drunk on the philosophies and the thinking of the world and the worldly church. And in a lot of respects, my mind isn't like the mind of Christ. When you say I want the mind of Christ, that means if Jesus and I went out to Starbucks, we'd say, hey, let's talk about money. And again, I'm thinking of <laughs> that movie, you know, <laughs> exactly what you're saying is exactly what I'm thinking. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, what you said is exactly what I'm thinking. You know, he talks about money. He talks about dating and sex and marriage and modesty and uh, how to friends and how to treat enemies and every, everything across the board. You and Jesus would be like, exactly. You, you just said it better than I could. That's exactly what I think about money. That's exactly what I think about religion. That's exactly what I think about. Let's talk about other religions. What you just said about Islam, that's what I believe about Islam. I think most Christians, if you actually went through the Gospels and we looked at what Jesus thought about a category, most of them would make some excuse as to why they don't have to think exactly like Jesus. Well, you know, Jesus had this really blase attitude about money, but he doesn't live in the 21st century, you know, and whatever. And he just does. This is a cult culturally different. That was the ancient Near East. Okay, well, fine. We don't have to agree with him there. Well, then what he says about treating your enemies, forgiving your enemies, or, oh, well, he, Jesus was never sexually abused like me, so he doesn't know, he doesn't understand, he was never an addict, he doesn't know what it's like to be an alcoholic, whatever. Um, so I don't have to literally actually agree with him. We just go category by category, and we don't realize that we call ourselves Christian, but we're systematically negating what the Bible clearly shows us the mind of Christ is. And God's been showing me, Ted, you've done this in a lot of categories. So let's look a little bit at Jesus here. Why did they call him crazy? And I guess the thing I want to talk about today is I don't think most Christians and probably a lot of you sitting here and people listening on Zoom, we frame out the universe and the struggle that's going on like Jesus did. We don't see our troubled friends like Jesus did. We don't see their solution like Jesus did. And uh, let's just get right to it and buckle up because this is going to be challenging. And you're going to have to say either Jesus was a nutcase and I'm going to go with what my Christian friends think and my secular friends think, or I got some radical overhauling to do in my brain. So they called him crazy. Why did they call him crazy? Let's see here. Come on, controls. This is the chapter that that comes from. He went up on the mountain and he called those uh, whom he himself wanted. They came to him. He appointed the 12. So he's been gathering disciples and then he decides which of the 12 that he really wants to be in on his inner circle. So they'd be with him, that he could send them out to preach. Okay, I can hang with that. Preach. I can preach. Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to preach. What else is he going to have them do? Authority to cast out demons. Whoa. No, 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 no. That's, that's primitive, goofy, 
hocus pocus trolls and gnomes and fairies and okay so jesus you, you lost me on that one no there, there aren't demons i got a degree in psychology I actually got a master's degree in psychology i know i know how the human psyche works because psychology is a study of the soul i know how it works that's kind of silly hollywood stuff all right you and jesus you just parted company because his whole universe is framed out as a struggle between spiritual forces of darkness against God and his spiritual forces of goodness. And these are personal spiritual powers that afflict human beings like you all day long, Christian or not, always looking for an inroad. But this is the context where they thought he was nuts. So he gets his 12, he says, go preach and be punting those demons out of people because they got them locked down and they have them in bondage. This is the mind of Christ. So how dominant is this theme, this heaven versus hell, you know, God and his angels warring against demonic powers? How dominant is this in the gospel? I know there's pastors that won't preach this. There's pastors that almost like they put on blinders. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. This is how he framed out his universe. Let's see what else he says about it. He came home. The crowd gathered there to such an extent they couldn't even eat a meal. When his own people heard this, they went out to take custody of him. They're saying he has lost his senses. So then the scribes, that would be the big shot religious people. Those are the Pharisees, the people that sit over the Bible all day long studying it came down from Jerusalem and say, and they were saying, he has Beelzebul. Uh, your Bibles will say he's possessed by Beelzebul. That word possessed is not in the Greek. It's not, it should even, shouldn't even be in our language. It's very confusing. Literally, it just says he has, which means he's being controlled by this evil force. It's another name for Satan. It's actually barred from another language, and it means Lord of filth but it, it's a, just another moniker that they put on Satan. He, he basically has a satanic power driving him. That's what the religious people are saying about him. And he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. So Jesus calls them to himself and he began speaking to them. So this is why they think he's crazy because he's doing all this talking about demons and taking care of demons that are terrorizing people and controlling their lives. So he calls them to himself. He began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? Well, man, Jesus, are you just like, is there anything else you're going to talk about here? I mean, what about goodness and love and humility? And what, what else is all Satan? I don't like talking about Satan. It's goofy. I don't, you know, how can Satan? He said, if a kingdom is divided against himself, what do you mean? You're framing up the whole universe in terms of this Satan kingdom versus you, and you're coming in to save everybody from Satan? If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself, if I'm full of Satan and I'm setting people free from Satan, if, it, if Satan's divided against himself, he's divided. He can't stand. He's finished. No one can enter the strong man's house. He's saying Satan's very strong. This world is his house. I've entered it and I'm plundering it. That's how he frames up his universe plunder his property unless he first binds a strongman, which means basically Satan is powerless against me, as powerless against me as if he were tied up with 
ropes and chains. And I can go into his kingdom and take anybody I want to because I have the authority, I have the power. This theme is so dominant. When you think about sharing Jesus with your lost relatives, are you thinking in terms of that relative is under the power of Satan? Nope, probably not. We were trained to think, well, you know, there's two places they could end up. There's that horrible, fiery, nasty hell where you're burning forever and you're in torment. And then there's magic pony land where people are sitting on clouds and strumming harps and singing praises. And it looks kind of boring, but it's better to be there than to be in hell. So I want them to pray a magic prayer with me. Jesus, come into my heart. I'm sorry for my sins. I want to go to heaven when I die. Whatever, whatever we think the sinner's prayer is, which isn't in the Bible. We don't, it's not, it's not in the Bible. It's not that it's wrong. And if you got saved praying a good sinner's prayer, you can't get saved praying a sinner's prayer, but we've made it almost into a little magic mantra. And a lot of people who said it really don't have any regard for what's happening in the Bible. But do we really think of the lost people that we know as in bondage to spiritual powers in this life and the one to come? And that we are like these freedom fighters with authority given to us by Jesus and a message that breaks their chains, opens their eyes. You know, the, and Paul says this, he, he, he delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The mind of Christ frames out the whole world in terms of the world is under the power of the evil one. Jesus came to plunder his house. Then he went, he took care of business. He died on a cross. He, he basically kicked the devil's head in and took away all his authority and power. And then he passed the baton to us. And he says, now you guys go out and set people free. The church doesn't think like that anymore. That's what Jesus was doing. And if you look at the greatest people in history and the big difference makers in history that we love to read their books, a lot of times we, 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 we like blow past those pages where they talk about the spiritual conflict or they're dealing di directly with the demonic powers that are controlling people. And I guarantee you, some of you are sitting here saying, I don't ever want to come back to this church again because just the thought that there are personal powers that are evil, something like I watched in a scary movie one time, I don't even want to think about it. La, 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 la. I'm going to plug my ears. I'm going to go to church where they talk about nice things. Well, then you don't have the mind of Christ. What else does the... So when we're talking about the mind of Christ, I think what God first confronted me on, we could go into all kinds of categories, marriage and money and relationships and your calling and your destiny. I mean, you name it, our moral your structure, compass. He has opinion on everything but how he frames up the whole world is every single person that is not in covenant with God, the covenant laid out in scripture is under the power of the devil. And we need to go set them free. Well, I don't like that. Okay. Well, just so you know, you and Jesus, well, Jesus just didn't know about other world religions. Jesus had the, had the old Testament, tattooed on his brain and the whole old testament is full of god saying look i'm the one and true living god and they're competing religions all around and they're counterfeits and they're false and they're fake and you need to come away from those and you don't blend up the truth with the lies he had the exact same problem going on in the old covenant jesus knows all the extant scripture of his time he knew there were other world religions and he said, like in John chapter 10, he said, everybody that doesn't come in through the door, and he said, which is me, he says, they're thieves and robbers. 
and they come to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, other religious systems are not going to get you there. I'm the only one that's going to get you there. So, so he, he frames up his world like this, and let's look at a few more other things that he says. Uh, Mark 1, we'll go back to the very first chapter of Mark. Mark is thought by many to be kind of the foundational document that the other gospel writers, especially Matthew and Luke, were using when they composed their work. And those of you who are getting serious about the Bible, the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called what kind of gospels? Synoptic, which means they're very similar. And Mark's the shortest one, but people think Mark wrote his first, and then, and then Matthew and Luke took that material and expanded on it because they said, man, Mark's book is really good, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that would really help you to understand what's going on in Mark. So Mark's gospel is like turbo gospel. It's only 16 chapters, and he keeps going immediately, 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 and you're like flying through it. And the other, the other gospels add about 10 chapters worth of material to fill it out. But we'll just go to the first one here. And we'll see what's important in the life and ministry of Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, like a dove descending upon him, a voice came out of heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. So Jesus does no miracles before this point, and then he receives the Holy Spirit, and you're like, why? Well, he does a whole bunch of miracles after. This is his supercharge from heaven so he can start doing warfare with the devil. He doesn't, he's not casting out demons. He's not healing people. He's doing nothing before this supercharge. It's not that he needs the Holy Spirit to help him to be holy. He's Jesus for Pete's sakes. He's God with skin on. He's never sinned. And so what he's showing us here is in the same way, those of us who are born again, who are really God's children, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is going to give us power so we can enter into this battle and set people free. So immediately the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted or tested by Satan. So at the very kickoff of his ministry, God says, okay, you and your op opposition are going to have a little showdown here, a little skirmish to kind of set, set up the ground rules for this battle that you're entering into. Because Jesus, you are going to deal the death blow to Satan and his kingdom through this, your ministry and mission. You've prepared for 30 years. You've been empowered by the Spirit. Now you're going to go have a little skirmish with the devil, and we're going to see how well prepared you are for this battle. Now, how did the disciples learn about this little battle between Jesus and the devil? Absolutely, Jesus told them. I went out in the desert, and me and the devil had a showdown. Me and the king of the demonic forces. And then in Matthew 4, Mark doesn't give us a lot of details, but Matthew fills it out and tells us some of the conversation that went on between Jesus and the devil. One of the things that was said was this, pay attention. Jesus frames out the whole world as about everything. Human, the, the existence of human beings were caught in the spiritual struggle between God and the forces of evil. And a lot of religion is swept up, and it's a deception. It, it's satanically fueled deception to keep uh, people from the truth. 
So Matthew 4, this is what the devil tells Jesus. So again, remember Mark's just like, almost like an outline. And then Matthew's like, wow, you left out some really cool stuff. So, okay, read the fast version. And then you want to study a little deeper. I'll tell you what a little of the conversation that was going on in the temptation narrative. The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. In the gospel of Luke, he says, I've been given authority over all these and I give them to whoever I want. Satan says, and, and we don't have to go into all the details. He basically says, I have authority over the whole show, Jesus. You're kind of the outsider coming in here. If you want to get anything done in this realm, you got to talk to me. And so basically to worship, he's basically saying, do it my way. So, okay, you love people and you want to see them all set free and you want to set up this, you know, fairy kingdom where everybody's lovey-dovey and all that. Okay. Do it my way. I'll give it to you because it's mine. The gospel of John says the whole world's under the power of the evil one. You have the mind of Christ and you pray for your lost family. Are they just nice people that need to be a little nicer? Are they nice people that are, are you know, you just want to make sure they go to heaven when they die? Or are they people that are in chains, born into a satanic kingdom, and they need to be liberated? And again, this is what God has been challenging me on. Ted, you're not thinking like this. You're not, you're not, because it'll put some fire in your bones. You think, you know, I love that family member of mine who is in darkness and sin. And you know who's behind that? The devil. Personal spiritual forces, as personal as God is and his angels are, that are intent on destroying them and they have strategies and methods of doing it. And I want God to break in and bring a stop to it. It'll put some fire in your prayers. But you got to have the mind of Christ. Well, you know, I think all roads kind of lead up the same mountain. You and Jesus are not even in the same library, much less the same page. So Jesus said to him, get out of here, Satan. And then he refers to the first commandment. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But Matthew and Luke help us understand a little of the conversation that's going on. The devil says, hey, this place is mine. The people are mine. You want them, you come through me, and I'll, I'll show you how you can get what you want. He does that to all of us. Let's go back to Mark 1. After John had been taken into custody, that's John the Baptist, and he's kind of preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. What's the kingdom of God doing? I'm setting people free from the domain of darkness. I've told some people, I said, you know what? It's almost like we have a pair of glasses on that spit out all the references to a real devil and real demons. And, and so we're not even reading the Bible. It's like we have blinders on. It's like reading about, I said in my book, I said, it's like reading about World War II and pretending there's no Nazis. Or Japanese, you know, let's just read it. And I don't know why everything was going so wrong. I don't know why those people were slipping into the fire, you know, in the ovens and getting burned. I'm not sure. I don't know what they needed was just some good old American goodness to slide on in there and fix it. No, there's an enemy and he's personal and he has schemes and he has objectives and he has to be stopped. So then Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Then he says, repent. That's a really interesting word. Literally, this is the verbal form. The, the noun form, metanoia, means change your mind. That's what repent means. Change your mind. We think it means be nice. Stop lying. Give the big piece of pie to your roommate. You know, No, it means change your mind. Change your mind about everything you think. That's what he's saying here. Change your mind about everything you think about this universe, how it runs, who you are, who God is, what salvation is. Change your mind. That's what, that's what the word literally means. It's interesting. Metamorphosis. Morph, morphe, it means form. It means change the form. But metanoia, metanoia means change the mind. So, of course, you're going to change the behavior if you change your mind. Some of you, before you got saved, you thought sexual immorality was okay. I'm not looking at anybody. And then you follow Jesus and you're like, oh my goodness, this is going to bring more pain and suffering in my life than just about anything I can do. I'm going to clean up my act in that department. So you changed your mind and then it changed your behavior. But repentance doesn't mean change your behavior. It means change the way you think. But it's not just about your moral compass. It's about your whole universe. Do you have the mind of Christ? So he's telling everybody, hey, the kingdom of God is here. And I'm going to teach you guys a completely different way of looking at things. Like the matrix, you know? Take the red pill or the blue pill. One of them is a lie. It's a delusion. One of them is the way things really are. He was going along by the Sea of Galilee, and this is where he picks up Peter and Andrew and James and John, his first disciples. Then he goes into Capernaum. And again, I don't mean to like freak you out with this, but if you're not thinking in terms of the domain of darkness and demonic powers and all that, um, you and Jesus just aren't seeing the world the same or coming up with the same kind of solutions for helping people. So, goes to Capernaum. This is, again, this is chapter one. This is before they say he's nuts. Let's go get him, his family members. They kind of let him play it out a little bit. And they're like, yep, dude is nuts. We better go get him and, you know, put him in a padded cell. But in chapter one, early preaching ministry, what happens? Immediately on the Sabbath, he gathered, uh, he entered the synagogue. And that's just kind of like a local equivalent to a church. If you had a, a, a small group of Jews in a region, a certain number of them, you would form a little synagogue. So you can't make it to Jerusalem. So we'll do our religious stuff in the synagogue. He began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Are you kidding me? Again, devil, demons all over the place. He cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now, we think we're enlightened. And we really are kind of condescending and patronizing towards silly, simple little Jesus. He just didn't know all the stuff we know. I mean, he, he just didn't know about Jung and Freud and psychology and psychoanalysis. And he didn't know about science. And I mean, beside the fact that he created the universe, but he just didn't know. He didn't, he did, he's just a simple-minded guy. Um, well, there were some very committed religious folks in his days. Uh, and they actually ran the, Jew the temple in Jerusalem. They're called Sadducees. They didn't believe in the demonic and they didn't believe in the angelic and they didn't believe in the resurrection. The Bible tells us that in Acts 23, this huge, powerful religious group, Jesus could have run with them if he thought that that was the best way to view the world. 
He said, no, the best way to view the world, the best way to set people free is by understanding that just as God is a wonderful, good, uh, powerful force who created the universe, there, and again, the devil and God are not equal in power. If God wanted to close the box right now, getting rid of all the, the demonic powers in hell would be easier than me trying to kill one of these flies in this building. Um, all, all he would have to do is just, it's done. There's no power, because all the power that the devil has, basically God, it's, it's borrowed. It's, he's a created being. But we have this, we, we do have this dilemma, and God's saying, hey, this is how you need to see your world. You guys are caught up in this battle. You guys are the freedom fighters. Go rescue people from demonic powers. Um, so his first sermon, the demons. And now this is another thing. Once you guys wake up to this and repent and change your mind and start seeing the universe like Jesus sees it, surprise, surprise, buckle up. You're going to realize that these powers are for real. And some of you know it. Some of you even here are, who are listening, um, may, some people may not even be saved. And you're like, oh, my goodness, is that what was going on when I was younger? Is that what was happening to me? Is that what I was being terrified by that I couldn't tell anyone about? Are those those presences in my room? Um, that kind of, yeah. But a lot of us, we've become too sophisticated and we need to repent. And once we do, they're like, well, there's no use trying to hide from Annette because she already believes we're here. So we might as well, you know, um, seriously, it's going to open your eyes and then it's going to like take the veil off. And plugging your ears and going, la, 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 I'm going to pretend they're not true is not going to help anything. They're just going to ravage everybody around you and you, and you're just not going to be able to stop them. But if you actually understand the battle, you open your eyes to the battle, it's a little scary at first, and then you realize, hey, I'm the one with the upper hand here. I'm the one with the authority here. I, I'm, I don't have to be afraid. And again, like, well, that would be nice, but I'm afraid. Well, you just have to go through the process of studying the Bible and realizing you don't have to be a five-year-old child who has the Holy Spirit, who's born again, who's standing in truth, could tell the devil to go to hell. Literally, get out of here. I have authority. A five-year-old little girl standing in the authority of Christ has been deputized by the creator of the universe with authority. But you have to learn all this stuff. But pretending it's not there and it's not happening isn't helping anybody. And God is going, Tad, you've gotten so fuzzy on all this. Why do we grow fuzzy? Well, one of the reasons is because we go to seminary and Bible college and the places that are supposed to be training us to think more clearly about spiritual things actually end up excusing it all and explaining it all away till sadly training for ministry can destroy your faith. What you need to do is you need to study the word and you'll see these things and how is Jesus viewing it and how is he dealing with it? And then when you start dealing with things like that, guess what? Miracles happen. 